Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Hey there, listener. Thanks for being a part of episode 240. In this episode, we're going to share part two of our discussion with Kenneth Ellington. He is a cybersecurity consultant and business owner of Ellington Cyber Academy. If you missed part one of our discussion with Kenneth in episode 239, it's definitely worth going back and giving it a listen. Kenneth told us the story of how a manager made a connection for him that really pushed him in the direction of cybersecurity in a great way, got him started. Kenneth also shared that part of his story was finding a community of like-minded individuals and being part of that community gave him encouragement to create and deliver training courses, gain expertise in that area, which eventually led to him starting a business, Ellington Cyber Academy. Kenneth also shares a little bit about what it's like as a business owner and coach motivating people to invest in themselves. That's a tough one. This week in part two, here's what I'd recommend listening for. Sometimes we can educate people on the challenges that are about to come their way, but they can't actually understand what the challenge will be like or how hard it is until they go through it. Listen for how that plays out in both the story of Kenneth's students and his own story as a business owner. In this episode, we're going to do some cybersecurity career myth-busting. We'll talk through some different roles and what they actually entail and what's just a stereotype. Kenneth will also give us his perspective on how the first year and change has gone for Ellington Cyber Academy and some pretty lofty future goals he has. Here we go with part two of our discussion with Kenneth Ellington. Was the mentoring and coaching part of your business something you saw coming or was that a little bit of a surprise coming into it with the instructor experience and consulting experience? I think it plays hand in hand. When I instructed people, people would always stay and ask me questions. They need extra guidance. So that coaching piece is kind of came naturally towards it. Normally we do charge extra for it um, after the program. They want like specialized one-on-one coaching for more extended period when we charge for it. But I would say that when you're inside the program, I give away for free, basically. So if any questions or concerns, I'm there to help you out to make sure you're able to get your stuff done. Because it can be, I won't, I won't lie, it can be rough. I was there, right? I got rejected over and over again, a lot. It 
takes again a lot of mental fortitude to get through it. I remember one time I spent I saved all my money and buy a super nice suit from like Macy's for like three hundred dollars. This is back when three hundred dollars was like everything that I had. I had an interview. Like day before the interview, they called me and canceled the interview. I'm like, wow, I blew all my money in the suit. I can't even use. So I've been there, right? That rejection piece is hard. No one want to talk to, towards you, but I'm there to help you get through it, and you will get through it. Everyone's been there in this field, so it just takes time to get through it. Which again, it's hard to see the light when you're crawling through the mud, right? You're down the trenches. So it's my job to tell them, hey, keep going. There, it does end. Trust me, I can see it. I'm I'm not in the mud anymore. I can directly see it. It will end. Trust me. So that's one of the biggest things to get across towards my students. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting position to be in because when you're breaking in, the breaking in part is the most important thing. And you can look back and say, oh, breaking in and then getting this direct experience opens up you know, all these possibilities in your life. But before that point happens, you can say that to somebody and they can believe it, but they don't feel it. Right. There's the there's a difference between knowing something intellectually and then feeling it emotionally like, oh, breaking through is going to be just the first part of all this amazing increase in possibility in my life. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. It just takes faith and trust, honestly, in the process. That's that's honestly, that's the biggest thing. It's like just trust in the process. Trust in me because it can. Like, I'll, there, are, there are times where you'll get. You'll have interviews and no one calls you back, or you do, or you don't even get interviews. You're like, "Why isn't this working? What am I doing wrong? Am I not, am I am I really not good enough?" Right? All that self doubt creeps in, but you just have to trust the process. Right? If you do these steps over and over again, you keep tweaking it till you get the desired result. It will work. And that's what I'm there for. Everyone, everyone is different, right? Some people, I can get jobs. They'll get jobs during the program. They may have more experience. Um, they may understand some of the concepts better and they may pick up on it better. Yeah, people will take 10 months to get a job because they need more work, right? They may need to work on their soft skills, talking to people, interviewing. Their resume may not be good, so it's our job to help them tweak it. So it may take them longer. But we will help you get a job, though, right? If that's what you want or get a promotion or whatever. But all this depends. Do you see any kind of interesting peak and then valley? So I went through the program and I got a new job, or I got a promotion, or I got this new role that I wanted within my company. Is there some kind of point that you're seeing former students hit where they get a little bit of imposter syndrome? Like, oh, can I really do this? I got here, but now that I'm here, I, I'm starting to starting to feel the doubt creep in. Actually, I haven't experienced that uh, for my students after, after the furniture programs. So normally we partner them up um, with someone from our team. So we have, I partner with different managers through different companies. So think of Expel, AWS, Accenture. We have managers and senior personnel from them. So we normally partner them up with one of those managers or personnel. So normally they're pretty war battled, I would say, um, to go through that process and, and, and understand, hey, this is all a process. It takes time. I would say they feel like that at the beginning of the program. Like during the first two weeks, they're like, this is super hard. This is really, really hard. I did not expect this. Even though, going back to your point, um, John, like telling them, hey, this is going to be hard, right? And like intellectually, they believe me, but they don't, they don't physically feel it. Towards like, the first capstone, they're like, I don't, I've never done a presentation this difficult before. 
and they get really nervous, right? Because these are big managers they're talking to. That that's like the low point, right? Where they're like, I don't know if I can do this. And I would say, like, after the first capstone, they don't really have those low points anymore. I mean, I've had students that don't always do the best in the capstones, but they don't properly prepare. But getting them, if they don't do well in a capstone, sitting down with them, going over, hey, here's where you didn't do well. Here's where you can improve. Here's your steps to make it happen and creating that roadmap and plan for them. The way I would have looked at it, I'm a coach, right? I'm not a player. So ultimately, I can give you all all, all the skill sets, right? But if you don't go on the court and actually do it, I can't help you with that, right? I can tell you, I can teach you how to do a jump shot, right? But when you get on the court and you're playing the game, if you miss a shot, it's kind of on you, right? I've given you all the tools to be successful. We've repped it out over and over again in practice. But when it's game time, it's on you to actually produce and execute. That's how I've always seen it. And that means they have to actually put in the uh, put in the practice, right? Because you can't you can't actually practice for them. Yes, um, I can. It's very evident when people don't prepare. I tell them I treat it as a job interview. A lot of times it is. I've had students hired directly from the capstones, so treat it as a job interview because it basically is. It is very very evident if you don't prepare properly for it. I've done this long enough. I present it in front of Fortune twenty companies. I can tell them people don't take it seriously and aren't paying attention. So if I can tell it, people that are higher up than me that I'm doing this longer can definitely tell it. We've had situations where people did not prepare properly for it. And it was very embarrassing. Times where I want to throw my mouse against the wall. But again, I'm the owner of the company. I can't do that. That'd be, that'd be very unprofessional. So just turn off, turn off my camera and yell. But <laughs> it's like you give them all the tools uh, to be successful, right? And then they don't always do it. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? You said you want you said you want to change your life. And here's what you have to do. If there's something that's happening, please tell me. That's what I'm here for. I call me, text me, ping me on Slack. I don't care. Just let me know what is wrong. But if you don't tell, you tell me everything's fine up throughout the week. And then the presentation time comes and it's like a hot mess. I'm like, what are you doing here? Right? Because ultimately, all the reflects back on me because my name's in the company, right? So it reflects back on me. When you do that, you're embarrassing yourself and you're embarrassing me. And I certainly don't want to be embarrassed. Right. right? I take pride in my last name. So I expect you to take pride in your own last name. That's the way I look at it. That's a tough situation. Definitely a tough situation. Something about trust there. When students come out of your program and they're ready to get that job, what other things do they need to think about when it comes to progressing through that cybersecurity career. I know that there's certifications, right? There's the certified information security systems professional. Is that what CISSP stands for? CISSP? I think that's a cert that's out there, right? Is that is that something that's important to get, do you think, in the in the field? I personally don't have it. I've heard it's super hard to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I normally try to focus on certifications that specialize in what I do. Sure. That's why most of my certifications are a Microsoft or Splunk base. Because those are those are the big the biggest two technology stacks that I use for my job. So for for the program, our students are able to get the core or sit for the core user and power use their exam. We give them the proper materials to study for those exams after sure. the programs are finished. So we tell them, hey, if you're gonna take two certifications for after the program, those are two ones to start off with. It's kind of the front line, like security analyst positions, yeah. as opposed to like kind of the leader strategist certification. Yes. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. 
it's so interesting because it's definitely a field that I don't know a whole lot about security and compliance. And I've always wanted to learn more. Like where do you think the mandates in the kind of tower or silo come from? Like organizationally, does everything roll up to an information security officer, like a CISO who has like ultimate responsibility for something like that? I I think it depends on which organization, honestly, because mm-hmm. each one has a structure different, right? The CISO may report directly towards the CEO, which I think they should, um, or they may report towards uh, CTO or CIO. Um, so depending on how it's structured, will break down. A lot of times I've seen my various clients have very solid environments. So information kind of gets stuck in one area. So not everyone understands what every body part is doing on each other. So it can be kind of hard for different teams. So somebody leaves, right? There's that knowledge gap because they don't want to document. They don't have the time or the energy or effort to document things properly. So things will get lost if someone wins a lottery, right? And then they're gone the next day. They're a senior engineer. All information is basically gone. Then you have to try to find somebody, which is even more extensive, right? And all the time that, that they're not working, it's costing you money, time, opportunity to try to fix things. Your backlog gets filled up. Now you're even more behind. Your other staff members are burned out. Then they quit and the cycle continues. Um, and someone up top is going to get blamed and get scapegoated. Yeah, that it's important to have really good people and also not be 100% reliant on those people to be there. I like the the idea of like the 20% art. You could get somebody like 80% of the way there by reading all the documentation of, of what's gone on and, and the history of why things are the way they are. And then there's like that kind of final 20%, which is, oh, you, you need experience in order to, to get, you know, the, the kind of final way there. And if you're missing that first 80%, because you don't have documentation, you don't have history, you don't know why decisions were made. Oh, man, that's a nightmare. That is a, a definite nightmare. Nick's really big on uh, documentation, right, Nick? Yep, all about the documentation. Love it. Here's a question, Kenneth. As students are looking at cybersecurity as a discipline, lots of different categories, sub-specialties within that field, because even though cybersecurity is part of technology, many different buckets one could go into, how would one go about selecting what subspecialty would best fit their interests and skill set? I don't know if you guys get this, but does everyone that comes to you want to be in cybersecurity says they want to be like an ethical hacker? I get that a lot. And then I'm like, no. <laughs> Pretty much no one comes to us and says, we want to be in cybersecurity because we're not cybersecurity specialists. I, I've definitely seen that a lot, though, to the point where I don't actually know what it means, really. I I think I know what it's supposed to mean. Like I have all the skills of a black hat hacker, but I use it for good. Like either like bug bounties or, you know, those kinds of things, right? People come to me and I'm like, do you you realize like what it takes to do that? And I don't think they ever do. I wouldn't say ever, but a lot of times they don't. One, for example, you want to be like a penetration tester or red team. Every time you do a test or an exploit in the customer environment, be prepared to basically write a book. Because I cannot go inside a client and compromise their environment. And they're like, all right, how'd you do it? You're like, I don't know. Like, I just did it. Boom, bada, bing. You know what I mean? I just did it. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, tell me how you did it, right? So you have to document step by step every action that you did over the past month thoroughly, word per word, step by step. And it takes 200 pages sometimes to write that down. 
Now, me, I don't want to write a book every time I do my job. That sounds awful to me. That's why I don't, that's why I don't do Red Team. I'm not interested in it. I don't want to teach it. I don't want to do it. But people don't realize that, right? Because it gets um, glorified on TV. Everyone thinks, people are, People ask me, they're like, you're in cybersecurity? Are you a hacker, Kenneth? I'm like, no, I don't want to be, and I, and I don't do hacking, right? They think, I don't, they, I don't know, I think I sit with my hoodie up in my basement, even though I live in an apartment, and then type away on a keyboard, and eat pizza, and drink Mountain Dew, even though Mountain Dew is disgusting. I, I think that's what I do. I'm like, I don't do any of that at all. Most people aren't probably going to be good at it, right? Because they don't have the temperament, or they don't want to write that much. That's one thing. So I try to get people to understand, like, hey, do thorough research as to what area of cybersecurity that you want to do. Try to play around and get a little bit of experience with it. And then come back to me, right? And a lot of times they're like, oh, you're right. I don't really, I don't really, really want to do ethical hacking. I want to do be a security engineer or a SOC analyst or a GRC analyst. I'm like, okay. I'm like, now, now I can work with that. Now I can help you out. That's one thing that I think I think everyone thinks cybersecurity is ethical hacking or being a hacker. Hacking tight cars, satellites, nuclear grids. That's not how it works. Want to be a generative AI security specialist? Can you explain what those uh, what those jobs were that you mentioned at the end? So, SOC analyst is security operations center analyst. So, basically, you're at the first line of defense. So, think of tier one, tier two. So, once an alert comes inside of an environment, it's your responsibility to try to fix that alert and get that ticket cleared. So, if there's a phishing link going on, someone's been someone's account been compromised. It's your job to try to fix it. You know, different tool sets that you may use. So think of Carbon Black, Splunk, Splunk ES, maybe Microsoft Defender, Microsoft Cloud. Just depends like what organization you work for and what they're using. Security engineer is someone who will actually a lot of times build those tool sets or design and engineer them. So they, you may be the one that, that's actually managing the Splunk platform, handling the backend processes for it. Maybe that, maybe XOR as well. Um, it all just depends. And then a GRC analyst stands for Governance, Risk, and Compliance. So a lot of the policy, put them in place so people know what to follow when they're going about their business um, and their companies. Um, and there's a lot of regulatory practices that go along with that. So think of NIST, think of FedRAMP if you're government, um, think of MITRE, for example. So those, are, those are a couple to name. And none of those require you to drink Mountain Dew or eat pizza exclusively? I mean, if you want to do that, you can. I just don't do that personally. I don't have to. And hoodies are optional. Yeah, hoodies are optional. We, we can confirm since this is an audio podcast, that Kenneth does not have his uh, hood on. No, it's like 100 degrees outside I'm in Texas right now. So, no. <laughs> but a real hacker would have the hood on no matter what. That's a- Exactly. Heat trope, doesn't matter. I gotta do it. <laughs> I want to know, Kenneth, knowing what you know now, one year into owning a business, what are some of the blind spots you had to fill that you wish you had filled earlier? I know one of them, you said you got a sales and marketing coach. Were there others maybe that you didn't see coming? Honestly, just amount of work. Uh, it's it's a lot. Like I knew it was going to be a lot. Like someone can tell you like, hey, climb up this mountain. You know it's hard, but until you actually do it, you don't like really understand like how hard it is. That's kind of how it was, right? Like the first month, something new every single day. I'm like, this is insane. Like how do people mentally do this? It was just a lot. Like the first cohort, there's so much that goes in, t- t- in towards it. It's gotten, I don't say easier because it still isn't easy, but all, all our processes have been simplified. So we can start to scale and make it repeatable. So I would say probably the business coach is the biggest thing. I wish I would have brought on probably earlier. Uh, she's been helping out with a lot of her different, so I'll say modules, processes. So that's probably the biggest thing that I probably would have brought on earlier is Valencia because she's my business coach. 
But other than that, though, I think we've done pretty well for being in business for like 13, 14 months. Um, I'll personally say we've generated our clients over, I think, a quarter million dollars new salaries. I've gotten like nine people hired in the past year. So we've done a pretty good job considering I've never run a business before. I'm only 26. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Glad that you're doing that for people. How does one go about starting their own business and just making sure that it's not some kind of weird conflict of interest with the day job? Because a lot of business owners may need to start it while they're working full-time somewhere else, right? Yeah, I would say check with your company, check with your HR, make sure they're okay with it. If they give the green light, then I would say test out your idea. Don't buy $10 for the software if you've never proven your concept right. Start super small. You can get like a free landing page and card. You may, may have to give, give out advice for free, right? If people like it, if it helps them out, ask for testimonials. Then from there, you can start to charge. Charge me $50 for it. Then if that works, do some coaching sessions. Then continue to build and scale up from that. And then you can start to add on more tools, automate some of your processes, hire a virtual assistant if you want to. Now, these steps take normally years, not months or weeks. So keep that in mind, right? The biggest way to be successful is just be just to be consistent. People will give up pretty quickly. So if you're if you're serious about continually continually to improve your processes and techniques over years, again, not months or days, then you'll outlast most other people. Honestly, it's just like a time game, honestly. The more you network, the more you build up, the more events you do, people start to see you over and over again. You build that trust and authority. And people are more willing to actually buy and purchase from you. Because again, it's very hard. Someone's not going to spend $10,000 on you if they just seen you once, right? That's not how people are. But they've seen you over months and they've talked to you dozens of times and they'll feel a lot more comfortable with you and be more willing to invest in you and what you do. How have you as a business owner and full-time employee during the day at another company found ways to balance it all? Is there a way to balance it all? I would say there is. It's a lot. So knowing like what your priorities are is super important. I've, I found out I, the things that I don't really care about. So either I pay someone to do it or I automate it away. So one of, one of the biggest things that I try to do is like keep myself mentally sane is I do boxing, kickboxing. It keeps me sane. Being able to kick a bag as hard as I want to, um, work on my technique. Uh, it's super awesome. It keeps me in shape, which is super important, right? Because your physical and mental health is everything. If you don't have that, you will not be successful in business. So making sure you take care of that. If you do meditation, you pray, you go outside, you exercise, you eat right, you get enough sleep. Those things are very important if you're going to have basically your own business and have your own day job, right? Because you can't take care of yourself. You can't take care of anyone else. So those are a couple of things that I try to do. That I also travel quite a bit whenever I get a chance to. No, other than that, I'm kind of boring. Um, I don't really do that much. It's kind of just I watch anime, I work out, and I cook. How often do you work out, if you don't mind me asking? Is it daily? Is it a few times a week? Probably five times a week. Five times. Okay. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's something that I need to get back to, honestly. I was doing it for a while, and I've fallen off the wagon a bit. So It's a habit. Like, I've, done a, I've been kickboxing for basically for 20 months. Now it's the second nature, right? Every afternoon or every night, I just go. I don't have to think about it anymore. So it used to be like, kind of like a task, right? To, like basically mm-hmm. get myself up. One, because I was scared, right? I don't want to look stupid, which I probably did. But everyone else is like dead tired, so I don't really care. But after a while, it just becomes like second nature. You don't even think about it, right? You just get in your car and drive there. 
So once you get once you get towards that point, it's a lot easier. It just comes like a daily part of your life. It makes my heart happy to hear someone as busy as you are makes time to get enough sleep and exercise and eat right. So that's something you're modeling for the rest of us. We could all improve. I like that. I'm glad to be a positive role model then. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a positive role model in a lot of other areas too, but <laughs> but I definitely want to highlight those for sure. And I guess the last thing I'd like to ask is, you know, you're 26, you own a business, you got a full-time consulting gig. How do you decide what's next for you in your career? So for me, I have certain goals I want to reach. One of them is to get ECA towards a point where that this becomes my full-time job. And my day-to-day schedule would look like I would travel to different conferences or different events for companies and then speak for them excuse me, or do trainings for their employees. Um, it's something that I want to do eventually. So I'm trying to work towards that point. So the ultimate goal for ECA is to become an alternative to like a master's degree in cybersecurity. Because I've seen people spend twenty dollars to $30,000, uh, upwards of $40,000 to try to get a degree in cybersecurity in a master's program. And with that, a lot of the times they won't have any practical hands-on experience. So they'll spend all that money hoping to like, get a leg up on people and then not actually work. Because when I want to interview or talk towards them, they're miss- still missing a lot of key skills. So I think that's a big gap. So our, our end goal is to have a place where we can bring in other instructors. So a instructor may be an expert in threat intelligence or vulnerability management, and they'll teach a month, month to two month chunks of the program, the program will be a year. And then that can like basically fill out the gaps with it. The people will actually get real hands-on learning from instructor-led people that are masters in their niches in cybersecurity. And then with that, also bring in the components of the actual networking components. Because a lot of times, the reason people go to big colleges is to gain that networking experience. But I don't always feel colleges do the best job of that. So I've been trying to bridge that gap in ECA as well. So trying to bring those two things together to try to build a better alternative to get a master's degree in cybersecurity. And then we're trying to also expand towards Africa as well, because my family are from Jamaica, bringing back, bring back technology towards where I came from, where my heritage came from, is super important towards me. So trying to expand towards that. There's reasons why it's hard, because especially for black countries in Africa, they don't have the actual physical infrastructure to do a lot of different things. So trying to work and do different partnerships is part of the process. All part of that networking experience, right? Getting to meet the right people so that they can help you branch into those areas. Yeah, it makes it hard because it's like a nine-hour time zone difference, um, but it's a work in progress. Well, you've inspired me to go out and I think I've had this like open task to connect with uh, black men in tech for maybe three or four years now, and I haven't done anything about it. <laughs> and now I want to actually follow through and, and figure out like what local chapters exist and, and get involved. Absolutely. You should, you should go ahead and do it, John. Just need to make it a habit, John. Yeah, make it a habit. I don't know about kickboxing, but I, I do need to get on the bike. I have a spin bike at home. I don't even need to drive anywhere, but I do need to walk upstairs and then actually get on it. That's the, uh, that's the, I mean, I've removed all barriers except, except that actually doing it. Kenneth, it's been amazing to have you on and to hear your story. Uh, thank you so much for your time. What's the best way to kind of, you know, see you living out loud? I would say probably on LinkedIn, we have a business page, or you can personally follow and DM me. I, I'm the young black guy with the high top fade, even though I cut my hair down like years ago. I have pictures old, I need to change it. But you can follow me <laughs> on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. 
Awesome. We'll make sure and put those links in the show notes. And can people send you questions if they have them about this episode? Yes, of course. Well, thank you again, Kenneth, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. No matter what people tell us about the challenges that we are going to face, it's really hard to internalize that and generate an experience because we oftentimes don't get hit with the full challenge of what's ahead until we're in the situation or we've lived it. As Kenneth mentioned, the coach can only share guidance with the athlete and make some recommendations on how they can perform better. But the athlete, or in his case, the student, has to do the work. They have to put in the repetitions and the practice and the time to truly prepare for things like capstone presentations, which are part of the program at Ellington Cyber Academy. And what's really interesting is one person's perspective on the challenge ahead may be different from another's. Both of those may be different from the most challenging thing for you when you experience it. So just realize that we as humans do not do a great job of planning or expecting things to be difficult. And even more than that, we probably do not have a plan for what we will do when things get difficult in a specific way. I hope if you are experiencing challenge that you're humble enough to ask for help, ask someone who's been there, especially if you have a coach on your side like Kenneth. And when you ask for help, you have to decide whether or not you're going to take the advice given to you. And that's a different conversation. And did you hear how the idea of people telling you things are hard played out also for Kenneth as a business owner? People had shared that it would be challenging to try and start up a business while he's working full-time, and it definitely has been. And he had to get a coach to help him even in certain areas where he needed work. There's nothing wrong with that. I do really like and admire the fact that Kenneth told us he has to stay in top mental and physical shape to do both jobs really well. Does that seem counterintuitive for somebody who's working that much? Maybe it does. But if we're not putting the right things into our body, if we're not getting activity, and if we're not sleeping, then we can't probably be effective in all the different things that we want to do. And oftentimes, because we're so busy, it's something that gets overlooked. When we talked about the different roles in cybersecurity, did you immediately think of ethical hackers with hoodies on? That's an interesting stereotype. We talked about a number of different roles just inside the realm of cybersecurity, whether it's penetration testing, which Kenneth decided not to do because he knew it was very documentation heavy, and he knew that's something that didn't really interest him as much as some of the other areas that were more blue team-centric, like the security engineer or SOC analyst. How can you learn more about what the job requirements are for those types of roles? Well, one thing you could do today is go and look on LinkedIn. Look for openings that match those job titles. What are the types of requirements that people want for candidates who are going up for those positions? Do you have any of those already? Maybe you do. And maybe you need to ask for, if you're 
really still not sure what cybersecurity is or if you might want to do it, maybe you need to reach out to someone like Kenneth or ask to do an informational session with the hiring manager that's looking to hire a cybersecurity engineer or analyst. If you want more stories of people who went into cybersecurity who have a little bit different story than Kenneth, go check out episodes 133 and 134 with Donovan Farrow. He got into cybersecurity and started his own business, but it has a different focus than that of Kenneth's. You can also listen back to the episodes we did with Bill Kendall, which would be episodes 180, 181, and 182. In Bill's case, he slid over from systems administration and was able to use his knowledge from systems administration to become an even better security engineer. So if you're new to the field or even wanting to make a career transition, looking into the programs at Ellington Cyber Academy are a great way to move yourself forward And then also consider the relatable experience that you bring to the table that I think was present in the discussions with Donovan and Bill that helped them get to that next level. I love the lofty goals that Kenneth has for Ellington Cyber Academy, or or ECA as he calls it. Did you notice the control you have as a business owner on ways that you give back. For him, he wanted to expand into Africa. That was really important and meaningful to him because it relates to his heritage. And being able to reach people in Africa would make him feel like the work he does has a greater purpose. Maybe you're a little bit less motivated right now in your job. Have you looked into how the company is making an impact with their customers? What are they specifically doing to change the way customers' lives are or the way they do their jobs or their customers' businesses? If you don't know the answers to those questions, spend some time thinking about it and researching it. And maybe if there's some way in which you think the company should be making an impact or or even giving back to the community, there's someone you can speak to about that, whether it's your manager or someone else who's in charge of those specific types of programs, and make a suggestion. You won't be able to entirely control the outcome, but in having that conversation with someone, you might gain a greater respect for what the company does and a little bit better understanding of how you're helping the company make an impact. Hopefully your manager can help connect those dots for you, and if no one ever has connected the dots on how what you do is helping the company you work for make an impact, have that conversation with someone so that you understand that what you do is valued. And certainly if it's not valued, then maybe it's time to look elsewhere. We haven't had a lot of guests on the show who went into cybersecurity. So if you're someone who had a different entry point into cybersecurity, we would love to talk to you to get a perspective on how others can get into that industry and what made you interested in it in the first place. So if you want to be a guest on Nerd Journey and you have a story to share, hit us up on Twitter at Nerd Journey or myself or John directly. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. Love to talk about having you on the show. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman, for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios.